Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and thank you once again for joining my brother and I on what is going to be a great, great show. For those of you who don't know me, my name is W.J. Sheehan, and I am the author of a series of books that are available on Amazon in paperback and ebook formats. And in case you missed our last podcast, Volume 8 is now available. So go out there and buy a couple for yourself or a friend. And I also have a bunch of them, one through six to be exact, on Audible, iTunes, and Amazon in audio format. So take advantage of all this stuff that we're putting out there, and uh, you'll make this Bigfoot are very happy. And Kev, <laughs> I want to welcome you in here tonight. How you doing, Kev? I'm doing great. How about you, Bill? Super, Kev. You know, I'll tell the audience what I already told you just a little while ago. I was out fishing today. And uh, just a, came back a couple of hours before you and I are getting together for this podcast and we caught a boatload of striped bass. Nice. Yeah, really good. We had a, a wind out of the southwest that was pushing us through the channel over there in Stony Brook. And uh, beautiful, beautiful afternoon, and the fish were biting, and we were yucking it up out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, Danny, Danny grew a full beard in, and it's all gray, so he looks like a little wild man from Borneo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you have to get a picture of him posing on the shore. You know, maybe it's a little <laughs> mini Bigfoot. <laughs> you know, Danny is a real hunter. And uh, mainly, you know, turkey and uh, deer. But he was the guy I spoke about uh, in our last podcast who saw the cougar in his yard. Yeah. And uh, definitely a guy that knows his way around the fishing pole and the rifle and the bow and arrow. Yeah. So, you know, when he told me he saw a cougar, he saw a cougar. So yeah, I, cut. I was getting gas in my car the other night, and there were a couple of cougars there, but that's a different kind of cougar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were checking out the Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> they were, in fact. <laughs> All right, man. Well, what do you got in store for us? Yeah, in we're going up to Canada, eh? Hey, mate. Hey. <laughs> hey, speaking little, of... We're going to go to a modern-day Sasquatch encounter, and then we're going to go back in time in the same region. Okay. So a little double feature. Nice. We like double features. I know. Present day and past day. 
<laughs> now, I'm going to apologize in advance, and I do want to hear from all of you if I get this pronunciation completely wrong. But we're talking about a pronunciation of some of the First Nations people and their tribes and communities up in Canada. So I'm doing my best. All right. Have at it, bro. There you go. So so this first one I'm going to talk about is modern day. And there's a clip that appears on uh, CTV, Canadian TV. And it's really weird, Bill. I like looked around for a week at this clip, and I could not find a date associated with it. But it's certainly modern day, like you can tell by uh, the video clips and uh, the boat that the, this wildlife officer is driving. It's, you know, within the last 10 years, maybe the last five years. Okay. So I apologize in advance. But this takes place in Western Canada on an island called Flores Island, and it's just west of Vancouver, British Columbia. So kind of you go to Vancouver, British Columbia, keep going west to the Pacific. And off of Vancouver Island is another little tiny island called Flores Island. You know, I wonder if Flores is around that uh, Afognac uh, Island that I was talking about. It could be because this is, uh, you know, the First Nation people are the town or the region is called and this is where I get in trouble. Ahusat well, is sounds, my guess. Yeah, it sounds reasonable. I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, okay. You know, we'll see how many letters we get. <laughs> <laughs> Although but if this, I if I heard you say Ahusat, I'd say God bless you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but this little island is only accessible by water or air. So it certainly fits the bill for a rural place for our favorite hairy man. And um, here we get in more trouble. The small community there of Ahusat is predominantly composed of First Nations people from the Nucha Nulta Nation. So that's a hard one. Yeah, and this is, uh, 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 I don't even know the terminology I want to spring on you, but this is a tribe or a group of people that have been around for a long time. This is oh, not yeah. a... we'd, in, in the U.S., we'd call them Native Americans. Okay. I think in Canada, they call them the First Nations people. Okay. That's their PC uh, term. First Nations being, the, I guess, the first in the nation before the French. And... It's the first inhabitants. Right, you know. right, right. Okay, yeah. very good. That's my, that's my takeaway of the expression. So this sighting takes place in broad daylight, just to be clear. And um, this uh, this uh, person who, he is a wildlife officer, and uh, you, I'll put the clip on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com, and this gentleman who's a wildlife officer is part of that First Nations people, so he's a, a native Canadian, as we would say in America, um, and he is, he has his boat. He's got one of those high uh, high um, leeboard metal aluminum uh, boats with like twin outboards on it. You know that you'd see like the Coast Guard running in or something like that. Right. He has it up on the beach there in this on this little island of Flores Island, and he's doing his routine patrol near a place called White Pine Beach. Okay. And again, it's broad daylight. 
clear day, and he sees something sitting out in front of him on the beach as he's walking along the beach on a big log, like picture a huge log, three feet in diameter. He actually shows a picture of the log later on when he went back, and he sees this thing sitting there that's really big. And all of a sudden, this creature stands up, and he says, you know, in his interview, he's like, this thing was really big. And uh, he saw it from the side at first. It was eight or nine feet tall. Wow. And then when it turned to look at him, he said, like, the shoulders were so broad, it was unbelievable. Can you imagine being there on the beach and seeing this unfold in front of you? No. No. I mean, you know, when you said he saw something large sitting on the log, I was going to say, did he bring his mother-in-law? <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, he didn't specifically say that it wasn't his mother-in-law. But no, I don't think so. But at nine foot. I mean, come on, Kevin. <laughs> uh, sorry, but So people. this thing turns and it looks at him. And get this. This is fantastic. In the interview, he says... My first reaction, which he did, by the way, was to jump back into the boat and push it offshore and move to much deeper water. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good plan to me. Good plan. But again, this is a guy who's like a a game warden of sorts, right? You know, first of all, he's of the native people there, so he's no stranger to the outdoors. He lives on an island that you can only access by boat or plane, and he's a wildlife officer, and it's broad daylight, and he sees this thing, and he's terrified of it. Like, he doesn't want to get closer He doesn't take out a camera and take a picture of it. He, like, runs to the boat and pushes it off and heads for deeper water. Yeah, Kev. You know, and this is, I get back to this all the time. People say to me, like, I don't know if they're trying to test my mettle or what, but they say, where's the terror? You know, Bigfoot terror in the woods. (laughs) The guy is standing in front of something nine feet tall and a thousand pounds. There's the terror, bonehead. There you go. And he specifically says, by the way, This is not a bear. Like, you know, he's a wildlife officer. Yeah. You know, and he's scared. And uh, later on, he says, you know, I know I'm like one of the few people that has actually seen one of these things. And he says, and I quote, I do not want to repeat this encounter. There you go. Isn't that interesting though, right? Yeah. And I'm sure he had a pistol, Kev. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. I don't don't know. In Canada... Might have had like a slingshot with surgical tubing. No, no. no. <laughs> yeah, Benjamin air rifle. Maybe a stick. <laughs> with a sharp point on it. Yeah, yeah, a sharp stick. I mean, it means business, that sharp point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I apologize to all my Canadian friends. Don't apologize. Girl is telling me the guys I work with in Canada and gas, they're like, you guys in North Carolina are crazy. Everybody has a gun. I'm like, that's not true. Everyone has more than one gun. <laughs> yeah, get it right. <laughs> and I mean on them. <laughs> that's right. What in the uh, Kev, you don't you don't remember this. Uh, you weren't even bored, but uh, mom and dad used to have a family friend uh, by the last name of Bills. Oh, I remember, yeah. Oh, you do remember them? Yeah. All right, so Billy, Billy Bills, if you can imagine that. I know, what a name, right? Yeah, Bill Bills and Billy Bills Jr. 
And this is true story, folks. So Billy went off to Vietnam, and uh, when he came back, he joined the uh, New York Police Department. Yeah, he was like a helicopter pilot in Vietnam, right? He was a gunner. Okay. And uh, Billy, if you're listening by some strange coincidence to this podcast, give us a call, man. I'd love to talk with you. Yeah, man. I hope uh, he's still alive. Yeah, he had, uh, when he became a cop, he had three guns. I remember being over their house one night, and I was still pretty small. And uh, he had three guns, uh, one in his back back of his belt, one in a shoulder holster, and one in an ankle holster. So, so he had Bi- three guns. Yeah, Billy had three guns. And, uh, you know, I said to myself, I was laughing when you said that it's not true about people in North Carolina that everybody has a gun. You said they have more than one gun. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But it just it just reminded me of him. Uh, I just have memories of uh, Billy, and uh, that's one of them. So interesting. Cool. But go ahead. Continue, Kev, with the uh, game warden. Uh, yeah, so he sees this thing. He gets on the boat. He heads for deeper water. Like I said, he heads out of there like anybody smart would do. Then he goes home and his father, you know, lives at home there um, in the town. And uh, he takes his dad and a few other of like the neighbors back to this beach where he saw the Sasquatch. And sure enough, when they get there, they see these huge footprints. Okay, they measure them and there's pictures of them in this uh, video broadcast on CTV News that I'll post on our website, and they measure them at 16 inches long and 7 inches wide. Wow. So huge footprints, you know, to go with something that's 8 or 9 feet tall and all muscle. Yeah, yeah. No, it is a huge foot. Uh, But one of the oddities about foot sizes with these creatures is, you know, I've heard stuff between, like, say, 16 and, like, 24. Right. So, you know, I guess some of them just have really abnormally large feet and not necessarily commensurate with the height of the the beast that's seen. Yeah, I think it's more the mass. You know, when you think about these things, and we've talked about it before, where people are trying to estimate the weight, which is very difficult to do, of course, because it's an unknown creature. You know, there's no reference point. Um, But people say a 1,000 pounds or whatever. And if you think of... You know, look how big your feet are if you're a 220-pounder. If you weighed five times that, your feet would have to be huge. Otherwise, you'd sink right into the ground. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, I, I'm saying I'm 230, and but uh, my foot size has not changed. I wear a 12 wide. Right. right. But I, I wore a 12 wide when I was 195 pounds. So, you know, I'm I'm just it just seems that some of them have like really big feet, you know, yeah, 20 yeah. inches, 22 inches, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh 16, I mean, no no joke, we have we have plenty of uh big basketball players that wear a 16. Oh yeah. You know, oh yeah. So, uh it's a, it's just a weird thing. I don't even know why that came into my head, but it's <laughs> it's odd, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so super cool where they go right back to this beach and they see a ton of footprints both on the beach and they take pictures of them and then going into the woods as well 
where he saw this creature, you know, when he was running for the boat, it left this log and started heading into the brush. So they go back there and they see the footprints. Wow. Yeah, super cool. And then they also, right there where it went into the woods, they take some pictures, uh, some video of a large cedar tree. Mm-hmm. And it had the bark pulled off, but the bark only started being pulled off at like eight to ten feet high. Wow. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, right? You know. Yeah, and also the fact that uh, there's no doubt in my mind, Kev, this is just like another nail in the coffin, so to speak, that these creatures swim. Yeah. I mean, they either wade in shallow water and swim or they just out and out swim. Sure. Because uh, here you are on this little island. I, well, I'm saying little. I don't know if it's little or big, but it had to get out onto the island. Now, maybe at low tide, it could navigate it some sandbars. It could wade there or something. I don't know. Yeah. 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 We don't know the area and, and what the water's like around it, you know? Yep. But uh, there's no doubt that these creatures uh, swim and are not afraid to go in the water. Yep. Interesting. So super cool. And he specifically says, again, this guy's a wildlife officer. He says, this was no bear. I know what bears look like. Yeah. And of course, people will argue and say, you know, well, what do you think this guy knows? He's a wildlife officer. (laughs) You know, Kev, I mean, this is how retarded some of these things get. He's a wildlife officer. He's probably seen... Every creature up there a hundred times over, Yeah, uh, he knows what he's looking at, and this thing freaked him out. Again, we go back to the guy seeing the swamp monster where when it stood up, the dude got wheels and started boogieing. Yeah. This guy was afraid. Yeah. Uh, And that's where the terror comes into play. You're seeing something that you realize immediately your bullets may not stop it, and if it gets me, I'm a dead man. Yeah. And, you know, again, like that police officer in Whitehall, New York said, all of a sudden you're seeing something that you had learned for your entire life did not exist. That's I absolutely mean, That's the line that always comes back to me because, yeah. you know, when I'm there, you know, and I'm outdoors a lot and I'm always looking and uh, I, you know, Maybe one of these days I'll be looking over and be like, holy cow, what the heck? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, uh, people are seeing this creature and they're really getting freaked out when they see it. Uh, I'm certainly not of the uh, mindset that you go out in the woods and you run across this thing and you're like calm as a, uh, you know, cool as a cucumber uh, in the presence of something nine feet tall and a thousand pounds, uh, there's nothing relaxing about that to me. Yeah, I'm not just going to sit. And you know what else is weird, Kev? This thing is sitting on this log like it's taking a breather. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, they have certain traits that are very unique, you know. Oh, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Wow. Yeah. All right. So that is that account. Now mm-hmm. we're going to shift gears. And we're going to go to an article that appeared in a written periodical. But I'm going to introduce, I'm going to paraphrase the uh, headline and the first uh, couple of sentences of the article before I tell you when and where this article appeared. Okay. Okay. So it says, British Columbia, 
where we just were, basically, British Columbia, startled by the appearance of Sasquatch. And and then the article says, it's strange in keeping with the topsy-turvy year of violently varying weather, universal human unrest, droughts, grasshopper plagues, and other phenomena that there now comes from various eyewitnesses the report of seeing some of the Sasquatch, those weird hairy men reported for 20 years to dwell in the tremendous and unexplored mountain region of British Columbia, Canada. Wow. So sounds pretty interesting, right? Sounds almost like it could have appeared in the press today, right? Uh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I thought you were talking about something written last month. I know. So it's as history always repeats itself. It's interesting. This appeared in a newspaper in Lincoln, Nebraska. So, of course, it was about, you know, these sightings in British Columbia. But in the Lincoln, Nebraska newspaper, and you can find it online. I'll put it on our website on July 29th, 1934. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, I know. It, was, it was like you were reading a snapshot of last week. I couldn't believe it when I was reading it. And and the actual copy of the article, like as it appeared in the newspaper, is online. Again, I'll put it on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. But it's almost 86 years ago. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, uh, he's they're talking about, what, a plague and... I mean, they mentioned grasshoppers, and we've had those locusts invading. Yeah, crazy weather. You know, they say uh, violently varying weather. We certainly have that, right? No doubt. Um, uh, universal human unrest. Check. We've got that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. I don't mean to laugh about it, folks, but, you know, we, we have to laugh about it here, at least on the podcast. But it's, you know, we definitely have universal uh, unrest. And, uh, you know, we don't have uh, grasshopper plagues, but maybe we will this summer. Well, we got locust plagues over in uh, Asia and true, uh, true. the Middle East. I mean, yeah, those we got things the keep killer popping hornets, up. too, right? You know, that are killing the bees. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. So so uh, I'll, I'll go back to the article a little bit. So their reported return is particularly in keeping with this unusual year. And they say of all they talk also about apparently at the time there was like some uh, sub reporting of different sea serpents, you know, and they talk about Scotland, which is probably Nessie. They talk about the Caribbean and the Pacific and the Mediterranean, but there's no specific mention of these uh, creatures, but apparently there was stuff going on then. And then they say of all these mysterious earthly visitants, perhaps the Sasquatch is the least known by reason of the rarity of their appearance and the reluctance of those who have seen them to talk. There you go. The same thing nearly a hundred years later. People weren't talking about it. Exactly. People are like they don't talk about it. They're embarrassed by it. You know, they don't want to be judged yep. by talking about it. Uh, and this was in the 1930s in, in Nebraska. Well, yeah, they're writing about it, but it happened in British Columbia. Right, right. Yeah. Amazing. Yep, 1934. That is just incredible. And I, I mean, th- I thought it was a super you- cool article. No, it isn't because what's old is new again. Exactly. And by the way, like folks, if you're avid listeners, 
you'll remember me talking about the uh, going back probably 10 or 12 different uh, uh, episodes of the podcast. We did review an article from McLean's magazine in Canada about the hairy giants, and that was in 1929. So that was five years before this article appeared. Yeah, very interesting. You know, very, very interesting. And it's making me think, Kev, that uh, perhaps uh, in like manner, maybe we'll have some uh, uh, rising numbers in Bigfoot sightings. You never know. I mean, because they, they're kind of claiming in the article, right, that there was some relationship. With all, uh, all the things that were going on. Yeah, certainly yeah. the weather, changing the weather patterns, which we have, and uh, social unrest, which we certainly have. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Hopefully, hopefully we'll get uh, some more views of this creature. So these sightings were in a place called the Harrison Lake region. And interestingly enough, the Harrison Lake region is just east of Vancouver, British Columbia. So it's a pretty large lake, uh, one of the largest lakes in the southern coast mountains of Canada. Uh, It's about 95 square miles in area. And about 37 miles long and about 5.6 miles across in its widest point. Wow. So pretty big lake. And they were seen at that time all around that lake. Incredible. Incredible. You know, I still can't get my mind off of that uh, game warden of whatever his title was. Uh, seeing this thing stand up on the beach and running back to the boat and shoving it <laughs> offshore as fast as he could. Exactly. Wow. I mean, that t- that says it all. You know, I mean, you're just freaked out. Uh, people can think they, they're, they, they're going to stand in the face of this thing. Yeah. Uh, but not only are you not going to stand in the face of it, you're probably not going to speak about it. Yeah, well, like, I mean, that game warden, he went back and he told his dad, you know, and maybe he lived with his dad. And what does he have to be embarrassed about? Again, he's a game warden. Like, it's not like he was out drinking with the boys, you know, and saw something outside the bar. He was on patrol on the beach in the broad daylight. He knows what he saw. Yeah, I'm surprised that people wanted to go back with him. But, you know, I guess people do what they do, you know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I would have went there. Uh, But I'm thinking your average person might say, yeah, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, man, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Let sleeping dogs lie. Yep. Let sitting Bigfoots sit. <laughs> <laughs> so super, super cool, though. Super cool encounter and uh, super cool article. I may go into some. This article goes on into some other encounters that took place. I think I'll I'll save those for another podcast, though, because it's pretty interesting and they tie back. Some of them tie back to that other article in McLean's magazine in, uh, you know, in 1929, five years earlier. Yeah, no, it's very, very interesting. And this constant digging into the historicity of Bigfoot is uh, very intriguing uh, when you connect the dots going back and coming forward. There's this continuum of sightings and articles and people... By the way, Kev, CTV, is that like a main Canadian television? Yeah, yeah. That's like a mainstream uh, station up there. Exactly, exactly. And, and I'll, ha- I'll post the uh, the video is on their website, and their newsman 
actually uh, goes out there with them, and he does the videotape of uh, the footprints and stuff like that. The guy's name that goes out there is Gord Kerbis, and he visits this site in Ahusat, where, oh, so this gentleman is a fisheries officer, kind of like what we'd call a game warden, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, either way, they're they're law enforcement people. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And And you'll see see him in the video. He's, He's driving this, you know, boat, which is... You know, like a harbor patrol kind of boat, and he's got on like a fluorescent vest, you know, and I don't remember if he had a sidearm. He might have had a sharp stick, like I mentioned. Yeah, no, I'm (laughs) sure, you know, we kid, but I'm sure in his boat, Kev, he had a shotgun and probably a a sidearm of some, some sort, you know. Yeah, even if it didn't have bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's incredible stuff! No, I really, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, I loved, I love both uh, aspects of it. Well, in the spirit of synchronicity, and for those of you who are new to this podcast, my brother and I rarely speak ab- to each other about what we're going to do, uh, and today was no exception. Uh, Kevin didn't mention to me one word about what he was going to talk about. And guess what region of the world I'm talking Uh about with this account today, Kev? (laughs) I'm guessing you're in Western Canada. British Columbia. Oh. And in the water. Ooh. So let me get into this here. This following bizarre encounter was told to me by Ronald Orferding, a resident of British Columbia. And this is what Ronald had to say about what was a rocky bombardment, as in rocks being thrown at him. It was late summer, 2005, when my best friend and fishing partner, Josh Samuelson and myself had launched my 17-foot center console, Jesse's Girl, into the Arrow Lakes in the West Kootenays region of British Columbia. This was one of our many mainstays for fishing trout on the fly, and we had spent many a day in the very same area in which this incident had occurred. This area is comprised of a tremendous amount of lakes which are glacial in their origins, being very deep and very clear. Surrounding these various bodies of water are steep bluffs made of stone, as well as other ridged inclines covered with pines as far as the eyes can see. Our greatest success is always fishing directly in front of and along those shores where the rocky bluffs are present. In these locations, there are a lot of riprap and boulders which have fallen away from the sides of these bluffs over the millennia, forming a haven for the trout just before everything falls off into the depths of the lakes. Several hours into the day, which was picture perfect with the lakes being flat and the sky clear blue. A loud kerplunk sound was heard by the two of us in the lake. 
It had come from just out of our view around this bluff we were up against. Josh was the first to say that a boulder must have fallen from the rock face into the lake, and we kept fishing. Just so you and your readers understand, Bill, the setup for what happened next, we were facing the bluff with the bow of my boat. With about 75 feet between us and the rock face wall. The wall rose up about 100 feet and it was topped with a grade of about another 100 feet or so of pine trees growing literally one on top of the other. This grade of trees was also exceedingly steep. It was about 20 minutes, give or take, after we heard this first kerplunk noise when a second large splash occurred just off the stern of my boat. If I didn't know any better, I would have thought a 40-pound salmon had slapped the surface, but I knew that none were here. The ripples from this splash were running out in a circular pattern in every direction, as the two of us both turned to face the bluff looking upward. We were in a quandary as to what had just happened, believing that there were no fish large enough to create such a splash, and yet it had most certainly occurred. I pressed the pedal on my electric motor, gradually backing the boat away from the rock face, exposing more of the upper tree-covered tier to our view. If it was a rock that had been thrown, the two of us were now wondering how a large rock could make its way from this bluff, 150 feet in the air, landing behind our boat in the lake. To us, it was an impossibility. Nevertheless, we were paying attention to what was above us and no longer watching our flies on the lake surface. I had just relaxed my eyes to pay attention to my retrieve when Josh said, Look out! A four or five pound rock came crashing into my boat's rear deck, cracking the fiberglass and rattling around in the stern of the boat. Both of us began to reel in our lines quickly and as soon as I was able, I jumped behind the console to start the engine. In my haste, I had momentarily flooded the engine and I couldn't get it started. Seconds later, another rock came raining down, hitting the water next to us, which was followed by a third and a fourth. Josh's eyes were fixed above us as I moved to the electric and started to turn us away from the bluff and out into open water. And then we saw it. There was a huge Sasquatch, rocking back and forth in the pines about 50 feet above where the bluff ended. And as soon as we had seen it, it threw yet another boulder down at the boat, narrowly missing us in the process. I had just turned the bow away and was heading out into the lake as we watched this beast hurl two more rocks sidearm in our direction both of which landed close to the boat with a splash. The Sasquatch seemed unable to throw overhand as we would, but was rather moving its arms in a semi-sidearm movement to throw the rocks. 
using both its right and left equally well. We were now about 200 feet from the bluff and the creature was doing nothing to conceal itself from our view. It was leaping left and right in the pine trees, kind of flailing its arms up into the air and grunting loudly. The beast was hurling rocks well in excess of the weight of, say, a shot put, and doing so with ease. As it grunted, we could see it opening its mouth widely, and even at the distance we were, its massive teeth were clearly visible. As we continued to motor away, the Sasquatch held its ground on the bluff, apparently making sure we didn't attempt to return to its turf. I was finally able to restart the engine, and we patrolled the bluff at a distance for almost half an hour before the creature finally ascended the slope and disappeared over the precipice and out of sight. To us, it seemed to be somewhat between eight and nine feet tall and something like a rusty brown coloration. If it was nine feet tall, it was half as much wide at the shoulders, and based solely on its ability to throw heavy rocks, extremely strong. What do you think of that, Kev? That is wild. Yeah, I mean, just incredible. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking about again while I was reading that was the at the moment when it was throwing its hands up in the air, kind of like that crazy man thing again. Yep. Like, you know, uh, and it's a very bizarre thing. Like, you know, like chimpanzees do that? They flail their arms up in the air and they start going, you know, you know making crazy <laughs> no, but noises. You know, what, you know what's really wild, Bill, is that, and again, folks, you're not going to believe this, but you, I promise you, you have to believe us. You, you know, you didn't know what I was going to talk about, right? And then I just said when I was reading this article from Lincoln, Nebraska, that I was leaving out the rest of the article because I wanted to do it at another podcast. Uh-huh. Well, get this. Where I left off, they talked about this uh, person. His name was Tom Cedar. He was trout fishing from his canoe on Morris Creek, which is a tributary of the Harrison Lake. He was near a rocky terraced bank. Suddenly, a large rock struck the water so close to his canoe that he was drenched by the splash. Looking up, he saw with amazement a large hairy man above him just as he threw another rock. This also barely missed the canoe. Cedar paddled rapidly upstream to the settlement. This is 86 years ago. Yeah, but the same thing. Same exact thing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Talk about synchronicity. It's crazy. It is crazy. And in the similar area, I mean, not the same thing, but both of these guys were fishing. Same kind of area. Wow. So yeah. this is a this is a habit for them. They don't like uh they from these accounts, they don't like us encroaching on their turf. Or they don't want us definitely catching their fish. Well, whatever which it is, is fair. You know what I yeah. mean? Like I've been up with the brown bears in Alaska and you don't want to be taking their salmon. Like in front of them, you know? Uh, yeah, I don't think you'd be wanting to step into the falls trying no. to grab a couple with a spear no. while they were fishing. No. 
Unbelievable. That Kinda is incredible. Kind of like me reaching Chip. in and taking Martha's bowl from her. <laughs> you know, and this guy uh, talking about the Sasquatch throwing stone sidearm, like they couldn't. Uh, yeah, that's wild. Know, like, be like a pitcher and throwing it overhand, or us throwing a football. Well, it's probably more efficient too, right? If you're throwing boulders, you know. Well, you don't could have to be. Throw yeah, them I at mean, ninety-eight uh, miles an hour. Whew. I mean, and one of these things hit the boat and cracked the deck. I know fiberglass. That's crazy. Yeah. So I, uh, uh, you know, I uh, again, you can't imagine this thing happening to you. And of course, a lot of people will hear the story and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," tune us out. But uh, for those who believe, these are bizarre happenings, and you just backed it up with this other, you know, Kev, you know, and down the road, don't get away from that story. Get back to that story. Yeah, I will. I will. Uh, uh, But I I had to bring it up because I didn't know what you were going to do either. And like when you're talking and I'm sitting here looking at my uh, digital recording, I was like, holy cow, like what the heck? Yeah, it's the the same same thing, only 86 years earlier. Right. A rocky bombardment on a lake or a, 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 a freshwater body where people were fishing. Yeah, in British Columbia. In British Columbia. Hmm. So there's no doubt that uh, these creatures have formed some type of uh, habits, or I don't even know the word I'm looking for, but they uh, have certain things that they do, certain things they don't like, which apparently is people floating around their bodies of water or yeah. what they perceive to be their territory, you know? Yeah. Unbelievable. That is incredible. Talk about synchronicity. Super cool. Wow. Incredible, Kev. Super cool. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the other thing, too, was the reddish-brown color, which I've heard many times. Uh, auburn, uh, red, red-brown uh, people have said in the sunlight they saw red highlights. So this seems to be a coat, and it may be a coat change. Uh, for instance, the deer by me, Kev, have now gone through the change from their winter coat to their summer coat, spring-summer coat. And they go from like what is like a brownish gray and black, mostly like brown or tan, and now it's almost a rust-colored red, reddish-orange, almost like a fox. Uh, a so red kind kilter. of from the wool cashmere blend, more to like a windbreaker? Yeah, yeah they're <laughs> in their windbreaker mode now. <laughs> Suave. <laughs> but I would imagine that perhaps the, the Bigfoot may have a slight coat change. Maybe they get a sure. little more or a little less fur uh, seasonally. Well, you definitely have the different colors. I mean, going way back, a bunch of podcasts, I posted some of the pictures of, like, the blonde brown bears that I saw up in Alaska last summer. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were, like, blonde. It was crazy. You saw the rich, deep black ones, as black as coal, and then you saw some brown ones. You know, they're all called brown bears. We'd call them grizzlies down south. And and then you saw these ones that were like blonde, and they really were blonde. And I don't mean yeah. like albino. They just had like blonde fur. Yeah, just like Wild. a yellow lab, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, it really is an incredible phenomena. Uh, but I particularly like uh, the account that you brought up today 
with uh, an official of sorts. Oh, yeah. I mean, that that's why I bring those up. I try to whenever I see them because they just have so much more credibility. You know, folks no- that are listening, I see a lot of these accounts and I'm like, okay, this is just like crazy town. You know, maybe it's not crazy town, but I'm not going to bring it up unless we're having some fun with it, you know. Right. But when you see these wildlife officers and stuff like that, game wardens, police officers, you know, state troopers, I mean, that carries a lot more credibility. Even just the avid outdoors person carries a lot more credibility. Right. And kind of, Kev, you know, unfortunately, in a roundabout way, we're almost feeding into the fact that, you know, your normal Jane or Joe would not be deemed credible. I know, unfortunately. (laughs) You know, I mean, it, is it, it is unfortunate because when we speak, we're almost saying the same thing uh, inadvertently, giving more credence to somebody who wears a badge or somebody that hunts a uh, hundred days a year over, you know, Bill driving down the road and seeing one, you know? Yeah. But uh, we really don't mean that, folks. But the point is that this is what we're up against with the Bigfoot phenomena. Uh, and even those who, quote, are in authority or wear a badge uh, are deemed, you know, like they had a snootful that night or something, you know, and didn't know what they saw. Yep. So it's 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 unfortunate, but truly this is what we're up against uh, when we're talking about these things, whether it's a report, an article, uh, a photograph. It really doesn't matter. Uh, people are going to say and think whatever they want to think. True, true. So cool. Well, we got some great listener mail this week, Bill. The first one comes in from Mitchell. And Mitchell's down under. Yeah, man. In Oz. And he says, Love your work, boys. I can't do a good Oz accent. (laughs) But he says, Hi, Bill and Kev. I live right down the bottom of the land down under. And we don't have any squatches down here. But I love listening to your podcast. One day, I really hope someone gets some epic footage of the Squatch species in order for people to realize that these beasts roam God's green earth. Keep up the great work. Wish you all the best. Awesome. And Kev, you know I got back to Mitchell. I know, yeah. I, I grabbed this one before we saw the reply. But, yeah, you, you told him about the Yowie, and I guess he lives out towards Perth on the western side of the continent where uh, apparently there's no Yowies out there. <laughs> They're all on the east coast. Yeah, he said he's just got desert and snakes. <laughs> Man, they so, got snakes down there, too. Like, holy crap. Oh, my goodness. You know but, I hate snakes. Oh, yeah. No, I have no uh, place in my heart. We for got snakes. we got snakes here, but not like Australia. And I got enough snakes here that I don't want a single additional snake. <laughs> Mitchell, keep your snakes. Keep your snakes. Keep your snakes, mate. Mate, throw the snakes <laughs> on the bobby. <laughs> All Mitchell, right, but so thanks glad. for the letter, Mitch, and I hope you get to see. Yeah, we. <laughs> Maybe when you're on vaca- vacation on the East Coast. <laughs> and Mitchell, if you get a chance, bloke, come up here and catch some stripers with me. <laughs> now you're doing uh, Paul McCartney, the British version. <laughs> you know what John said? 
<laughs> when he was asked who was the best, if they thought Ringo was the best drummer in the world, Kev. <laughs> what did he say? He said, in the world, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> I remember actually hearing that on the BBC recordings. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I love that stuff. <laughs> All right, now we go to Danny. I don't think this is Danny that you were fishing with. This is Danny in upstate New York. All right. He says, hi, guys, love the podcast. Some of the videos that you shared are fantastic. But I still do not understand why we're not seeing more of the hairy creature. In this day and age, I just can't wait to see some new videos and still shots flowing in. Patterson Gimlin is still the best film. And that was a long time ago. This really is an elusive beast. Keep on squatching. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, keep Danny. on squatching. <laughs> we are going to keep, gonna on, keep squatching. on squatching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where, <laughs> I'm still laughing. Where was this person from, Kev? He was from upstate New York. That's yeah, all and said. you know yeah. what? Uh, that footage, you know, hands down will always be, well, I shouldn't say always be, but that was some great footage, man. Uh, the the Patterson-Gimlin film, and of course we know the controversy surrounding it, but I don't care what anyone says. I think that was real, and I think it was fantastic. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get some more really good stuff. Maybe somebody will catch a good clip for a half a minute or so. Yeah, I mean, we're with you, Danny. And certainly some of the stuff we've posted lately is pretty cool stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I, I, I certainly feel really good about some of the videos we've come across and posted recently, you know. Yeah, and you think about it, Kev. We talk about the the uh, the, the fishing game warden uh, jumping back in his boat. Oh yeah. You think about Patterson and Gimlin. I'm sure they had scabbards on their horse and a couple of Winchesters, uh, maybe even a Colt or something on their side. Uh, maybe if we could talk to Bob Gimlin someday. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it took really a lot of nerve to stand their ground. Uh, while that thing was walking in front of them, but these were two pretty robust individuals. Oh yeah, they were they were in the uh, you know the wild west at the time. You, you know, yep. even though uh, you know it was modern day compared to the wild west, it was still pretty darn rural. Yeah, and when you were out in the woods over there, you best be prepared. Yeah, and you're, there were horses. You know, come on, like yeah. Now I'm sure they had uh, substantial firepower. Yeah. Uh, to defend themselves and their mounts uh, from cougar, bear, whatever. Whatever, yeah. Wow, incredible. Good stuff. All right, our last uh, note comes in from Michelle in Tampa, Florida. Hmm. And Michelle writes, hi, boys. Whoa, those Swamp Ape videos are impressive. I especially like the reality presented by the gentleman that turned and sprinted when the creature stood up, <laughs> we all like to say, and she underlines it, what we would do. But it's another thing to be there when one of these powerful, muscular giants stands up and looks at us, isn't oh. it? Yeah. <laughs> you bet. You bet, Michelle, man. I would have been like, pew. 
out of there. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. I am not hanging around. That thing to was say like hello. 20 yards away, as I recall, too. It was like, forget it. I'm out. And picture how quickly something like that could have covered Holy the ground mackerel. between it and the and the, the camera person. Forget it. Yeah. He's he's lucky. That person is lucky they no got doubt away. About it. No doubt about it. Wow. Cool. Well, well, that's it this week, Bill. Uh, Great podcast. And I just want to uh, thank our listeners. You've been leaving us great five-star reviews. Please keep it up. And uh, even if you left us a review previously, go to your podcast player right now. Give us five stars. And again, it's really important that you do because it brings more listeners to the podcast. And as we get more listeners, we can improve the quality of the podcast. And as you know, if you're an avid listener, we have dramatically improved the quality of the podcast in the last 50 episodes, and we will continue to do so. We know there's room for improvement, and your five-star reviews help us along the way. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, excellent, excellent uh, storylines today, Kev. Uh I think the people, as well as myself, we're all happy to share in what we're we're putting out here and what other people are doing. I mean, it's just fantastic. The subject matter is just totally overwhelming and intriguing, you know, and I, I, I just can't get enough of it, you know. Agreed. So Agreed. we hope you all feel the same way. And remember, if you find yourself wandering around in the woods during this COVID crisis, always carry more gun. Than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.